Uh, real quick, just a, a quick, uh, before I teach, I thought maybe I'd do this. Oh, gosh, where did, uh, oh, Brian, there you are. Show me that slide of our giving. We typically do this in the first of the year, and this is uh, just to uh, uh, help bring some awareness and we've lar- enlarged in the slide from last year. It was very microscopic last year because we didn't want you actually to look at it or read it. But this year, we really want you to see it, that we raised about a million three. As you can see, our budget was a little bit more. We were about 50000 under budget. And what I'm hearing from our finance team is we've kind of reached a, a plateau in our giving, but I don't think it's the end. I think it's just the beginning. I think through greater transparency and greater communication, we are going to see uh, more involvement, more commitment to our vision and mission as a church. And so I just wanted you to be aware of what it looks like here at the river in terms of our giving so that you have an understanding of how we, we finish up. And we're a family, so this is just a full, full major disclosure here of what's going on. Our giving went up a little bit, but there you can see in the very far left, which we don't want you to read anything uh, in the small print there, unless you uh, have really good, like, 20-20 vision or better. And uh, I have 20-20 vision with my glasses, and I can't see that. But basically what it's showing you is the breakdown in our families, about 189 uh, families or individuals that give to the river. And um, it shows you the amount of money that is given in those each er- in those areas. And Here's a couple thoughts for this year that we want to continue to bring before you the church's needs because we're a family and we're committed to that and we're going to talk about that this morning. But also to see us grow and to stay, take a step of faith and to grow in our giving and for some of us to maybe even give for the first year and to become part of a giving family here at the river. So um, just wanted to be aware of that. We have great plans, exciting. I'm going to do some teaching on it and... Uh, uh, we're going to talk more about it, but I just wanted you to be aware of how we finished up. Our budget has gone up this year uh, by a few hundred thousand dollars, so we're, we're going to uh, ex- kind of talk a little bit about our junior high pastor position, um, some help in our area of mission and outreach. We're growing our giving this year, and we still are praying about potentially creating a space for the community. I mean, we're, we're still praying about it. We haven't decided uh, it's open for discussion, but a place of, that we can be in the community that we can actually t- kind of touch more lives in our community, our missional call. So that's where we're headed. Okay? So, great. Danny, you want to? Good. You're going to pray for me? Yeah. All right. And try. Danny, way to go. All right, guys. Well, we're really excited to hear what Todd has prepared for us today. So if you'll just join me again uh, one more time in praying to, this morning, and we're going to open it up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather with this group of believers, of brothers and sisters, to come and hear about who you are and um, who you are in our lives and what you're doing in our community. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given Todd. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, help his words sink into our hearts and that we would remember them beyond uh, 12 o'clock. Lord, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Uh, we are in a series, and uh, you know that we're in a series, right? Uh, la- this is week, actually week three of a series uh, entitled Enjoying God. We, we're going through our four values, which is to love God, enjoy people, to play a part, and to share the story. And one of the best ways that we're going to get you to know that is just keep saying it, right? 
the four things that we really value around here is to love, enjoy, play, and share. That's what it is. That's what it looks like to be a, a, a follower of Christ in the river community, is to learn how to love God, learn how to enjoy people, play a part, and share the great story that is told in the scriptures, the gospel. And so that's, that's what we're going to focus on. So the next several weeks, eight weeks, we're all the way up to Easter, we're going to be talking about enjoying God and how we enjoy God. James, thank you for opening us up and talking about the meaning of life and uh, helping us understand that we were created and born for relationship. Then last week, uh, Matt opened up Romans chapter 12, and we were talking about unity uh, versus competition, how we are unified as a body. This morning, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 with you this morning to talk about the value and role of the church as we enjoy people. The, the church plays a very, very key role. And uh, I want to open up this morning by, by, by letting you know that here, here's the reality. Life is about stories. All of life is about stories. We tell stories, don't we? And as we tell stories, one of the things we do is we are connecting ourselves to humanity, to one another in relationship. And that's what life is about, telling those great stories. Um, I have a, one of the exercises we did as, um, as a church uh, staff uh, several weeks ago. We got away and spent a couple days in Palm Springs and talked about the future of the church and how we're growing and where we're headed and some of our goals and objectives. But one of the things we did is uh, we told some stories about what make up the River Church. And um, this is my dream book. And it's a, it's a blank uh, pages, and I write... Um, sometimes I, I lay out our story of, of our session or, or, or the, the teaching that we're going to head into or um, some dreams that I have for the church. But in this particular case, I wrote down several of the stories that really mark who we are as a church. And I was just looking through that, and I have this one page that's all stories that start from the very beginning and talk about Jane Hollis and the development of our high school ministry in Hume Lake and and some of our sufferings and difficulties and, and seasons of pain and, and hardship with some of our members of a church. And, and then also some really exciting things like Baja Bound that developed and deepened families' experience in mission and, and outreach. And, and uh, so they're in here. There's more to be written because life is about stories. We, we got together with our dear friends who are here that we've known for 25 years and back in Chicago. We were two families that just were connected and interconnected and did life together and did, did vacation together. And we had dinner last night and we shared some great stories of how we're connected to one another and laughed and remembered and remembered the past. See, that's what makes us human. That, makes, that gives us a sense of identity and purpose. And you know what? The church has stories as well. And one of my concerns is that one of the stories that people tell about the church, I think, is off. It's like a misperception of the church. We hear people today talk about the church in a way that really isn't the way Paul described the church. And I want to kind of reframe that in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's take a look at that passage this morning as we rewrite maybe or reframe the story of the church because some people say I'm connected to the church other people say 
I can no longer be connected to the church. There's too much hurt in the past or too much pain or you don't know what happened to me or maybe you've grown kind of tired of it or uh, you've reached a season in your life you just want to do something different. And so maybe the story you're telling yourself is not the story that Paul wants you to know about the value and importance of the church community us enjoying people in relationship with one another. So let's look at Ephesians 2 and see if we can recapture the story of the church from Paul's perspective. In verse 11 all the way to verse 22, and here it is. This is Karl Barth, by the way, great theologian, says this is the keystone passage. This is that brings the, the message that Paul wants to bring about the gospel to people to a, right to a head. This is the beautiful picture of what Paul's leading us to, which is the church. So here we go. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh, by human hands, remember that you were, it says, at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Right away you sense a division. Right away you sense this Gentile and Israel kind of sense that's going on here. And Paul's painting this picture where the Gentiles were out. They weren't part of the religious establishment. They were outside of it. And they were separate from. And so there's this division. There's this divisiveness. There's this separation between peoples. The Gentiles and the commonwealth of Israel, the Jews or Judaism in the first century, they were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Something happens in this passage that unites people that otherwise could never have been united. And that's Paul's point. The story of the church is uniting divisive people. The church is about uniting people that could not possibly find themselves in the same room with one another, with the same community with one another. But by the blood of Christ, you were formerly far off and been brought near. He himself is our peace, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances so that he himself, he might make the two into one new man. Breaking down the barriers, the religious barriers that stood against people that were outside of that religion, the rules, the commandments, the laws, irreligious people being brought in with religious people now being made something into something totally different. Something new by the blood of Christ, this new man establishing peace, reconciling both in one body. Through the cross, breaking down the enmity. And he came and preached this peace to those who were far away and those who were near. So that we are no longer strangers and aliens, Paul says. No longer separate. No longer strangers from one another. But you are fellow citizens with saints and our God's household, having been built up the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus 
the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So, do you sense where Paul's going? Paul's talking about division. He's talking about division that's gone on for hundreds of years. Massive division. Gentiles, Jews, religious versus irreligious, unreligious. We're talking about people that were considered pagans and those that were considered part of the promise of God. Now being brought together as one new person or humanity, Paul calls it the church. This is the church. And then he describes how it happened, and then he gives us some metaphors of what it looks like when it comes together. It's a, it's, we're all citizens. We're all members of the household, and we're also building stones. We're, we're stones within a building. So it, it's moving from division to unity to now a powerful force, like citizens of a nation, like members of a family, or 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 components of a powerful dwelling place of God, a building. That's who you are. That's who you've become. But many of us have told a different story. And, and, and what Paul wants to do is rewrite that story through our lives. How's he going to do that? Well, three things. I discover three things. It's always three things, right? Um, so you got to find three things because it just makes sense. I don't know why. Who came up with that rule? But there it is. It's easy to remember. And here they are. First of all, you are no longer one, but you have become part of something new. You're now part of many. That's the first thing. That's where Paul starts. That's where it starts for you if you want to become part of this new story that church is all about. That really acts makes, makes us better and stronger together. But we don't know that until we become part of something else. And so what Paul's saying is that look what's gone on here. The Gentiles that are in the flesh have been brought near with those that were close to God. They thought they were close to God. Many of them were close to God. Some of them were struggling in their being close to God because they put religion in the place of God. And they needed to rewrite their story as well. And so two new stories being rewritten. Two stories being rewritten to become one. Do you see that? And, and the context is people that could not get along are now getting along. I mean, we're talking about people that worship totally different, pagans and religious people. But what I think it points to, that, that what Paul's trying to say, which is, which is clever, and he doesn't come out and say it, but, but he infers it. When, when, when the one over here and the other group over here become one, what, what Paul's saying is that we thought it was just about this one group of religious people getting together, but now what we're seeing is another group is being invited in. That's missional. That's the movement of the power of Christ and the Spirit of bringing people in. It's, about always, it's not about who's here, it's about who's not here that needs to be here. Does that make sense? I mean, that's the way Paul's trying to get us to think. When he talks about Gentiles being brought in with Jews, he's talking about who's not in the room. And it's very, very missional. Well, how do we get there? How do we even get to that point 
of not seeing ourselves as one, but many, a new humanity, the church. Well, several things have to be overcome. I wrote three. Individualism is one. Loneliness is another. And great racial divide is a third. I mean, the first one is, is this radical individualism that Robert Bella points out uh, in one of his uh, books, Habits of the Heart. And uh, he talks about that in America today, American society, that's what really, that's what kind of characterizes American society is this radical individualism. And the way he points it out in terms of religion is he says, he, he, he finds this research, this is 20, 30 years ago, he says that 81% of Americans believe they need to come to their own religious understanding apart from a religious institution or synagogue. So a church or a synagogue. In other words, people are on their own to figure it out. That's the mentality that's out there. And Paul is, he, he's confronting that. It's saying we are stronger and better together if we can drop the individualism that often plagues the church as well as society. The other one is loneliness. And, and loneliness is, a, is really a byproduct, of, a byproduct of busyness. People are busy in American society. We are very busy. And what we typically do is we just bounce from relationship to relationship. It's the bouncing and not getting planted that's the problem. And, and, and the research is out that uh, one, the, the, one of the major symptoms of our culture today is loneliness. And you're thinking, why? People are so connected. We think they're all connected. And yet they aren't. And what science shows us is that we are better together. We really are. There was a, um, there's a UC Berkeley professor, uh, Amelia Thomas, who said basically this. She said, all the science points to this. Our bodies tend to work better when we are connected. We're healthier together. You know that? You function better together. You're healthier emotionally and spiritually when you're connected with a group of people in deeper connected relationships. Uh, even uh, loneliness wor uh, worsens our emotional and spiritual health. It says that you die sooner if you're lonely. And, and, and th some of the research says that the brain power goes up when you're in a dialogue with somebody else versus simply being in a monologue by yourself. When you're just in your own head, that's a dangerous place to be. That's where fear and anxiety and worry, like in the middle of the night, you're just thinking about something, you're ruminating something. That's a, that's a tough place to be. And it's far better to be connected. It's greater brain power. In fact, some of the research says that you need crazy people in your life. I mean, isn't that the church? Church is filled with crazy people. Church is the only place that we don't have a sign that says, here's the requirements to come in. That you got to be this kind of a person to get in because that's all we're looking for. The church is open. That's what Paul's saying. The church is open to all people. In fact, Crazy people too. And in fact, research says that crazy people helps you shape your perspective. Not too crazy. There's a point of being too crazy. But, but craziness really actually is people like, oh, I don't want to be around those people because they drive me nuts. But in fact, they're pro it's probably pretty healthy that people like that in your life. Brings new perspective. It's helpful. And so there's great research of why we need to abandon this idea that we are better alone than we are as a unified, Christ-centered 
humanity called the church. You've been invited into something new, Paul's saying. The other one is the great cultural divide, um, racism, division. Something's got to change, and it's often in us. But notice what happens when, in that ha- when, when we go through that transformation. In fact, Paul says there's a transformation that happens. He uses the word. He says that, that we were brought near by the blood of Christ, but, but before that he says we've been, we've been unified We've been changed. We've been made. The word is to made or to be changed into one new man, a new humanity, per se. And, and, and the English language really doesn't carry the weight that we need to understand this in. So I went to the German, of course, because the Germans really understand that. And in, in this particular case, they were right on. It talks about the Neuen Menschen. The Menschen is man. Menschen is humanity. And in philosophy, uh, Nietzsche and other philosophers talk about the, men, the uber-mention, the, like the superhuman. How do, we, how do we as a race of humanity become a greater species? Well, philosophers would say basically that we need to become the uber-mention, the, 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 the better beyond where we are, but better humanity together. We find new values. And, and Nietzsche's... Really, his value system was that it was an re- attack against Christianity, attack against what God was doing, because the way Nietzsche saw Christianity is it was otherworldliness. It was like Christians are just out of their minds, and all they're thinking about is the other world, and so they're not really helping us become a good humanity. And I want to change that perspective. I think what Paul says is, no, that new humanity, that new mention in the German is right here. It's right here on this earth. The church is planted on the earth and made of all different sorts of individuals to become a new humanity with a new value system, a new focus, a new purpose. See, what, what we're doing is we're recapturing, we're grabbing a hold of the original intention that God had for us in the garden. To walk with him, to relate to one another, and to invite others in. And we do that by living out the value system that God has given us to become this new humanity. And, and the word, it's really interesting because in the Greek, the word which we get this, this idea of a lasso, that's how I remember the word, apokatalasso, literally means it's like we've been lassoed. By Christ, we pulled in. There's a rope that's gone around all of us, and as He pulls us in, what happens? From the we, we become tighter, don't we? Not le- not further away, not looser affiliation, but our tighter affiliation. We're being drawn in. We're being lassoed. And what what Paul's saying here, and what's exactly what the word means, is it's a change that happens from hostility to friendship. That's what's happening. We're becoming closer. We're becoming friends. And in our friendship with one another, we're giving up the divisiveness. We're giving up the hostility. And what's happening is we're forming the humanity, the new humanity. We're becoming something different. But you've got to give up that individualism. You've got to give up that sense where I'm just going to bounce from people to people. You've got to be willing to break down the racial divide that may, have, may be in your own heart. And, but the second thing we have to realize is how this happens. The passage tells us. 
The second thing is, is it happens by the blood of Christ. See, Jesus has skin in the game. See, something has to die. Something has to be sacrificed in order to build this profound of unity. This institution, the church, went through a struggle to become a people. And the struggle is Jesus on the cross. Because it mentions it right there. It's through the blood of Christ that we are made two groups into one. And, and I was thinking, well, how do you really illustrate that? And the first thought I came to was a book I read many years ago called Team of Rivals, the story of Abraham Lincoln. And after he won the election, he actually chose those that ran against him uh, to be part of his cabinet. So here's a, here's a, a difficult and divisive campaign, and at the end of it, he invites them to come in to form a unified team in order to unify the country. And it was a good move, because they headed, we, our country headed into the Civil War as a result of the division over slavery. And during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln wanted to find a way to offer peace to the South. And on February 3rd, 1865, Abraham Lincoln did something that many of his team thought was unwise. He brought in some opposition, the southern opposition leaders. And he met on the River Queen, which is Abraham Lincoln's kind of home away from the White House. And, um, uh, and he invited them in on this steamboat, and they had a discussion about peace. And he knew that in order to unite the country... We would have to forgive the debts. We would have to forgive one another. We would have to move to uni unity. And yet, the South weren't ready. They were not ready. And it would uh, take literally cost 10,000 more lives before we would actually find peace in this country. And that Abraham Lincoln would unify the country and bring the country back. But one other thing had to happen, I think. It's not that we wanted it to happen, but it, it happened. Abraham Lincoln was sacrificed. His blood was shed to unify the country. It was difficult. And in, in fact, it, was, it, wasn't a, it didn't look like unification right away, but it unified and saved the country. We became one again. And I think that's what Jesus has done for the church. He has unified people so that we no longer live with hostility or we simply say, we just want to be on the outskirts. We want to just be loosely connected. We've been lassoed in. We've been changed. We've been brought in. As we've been brought in, we find people where we were in hostility when we call them friends. But it has to happen through the blood of Christ. Have you been personally impacted by that sacrifice? See, that's what brings us in. But there's a third thing that I want to point out, and it's here in the text. This new humanity, the church is stronger and better together. And the way we are stronger and better, Paul uses three metaphors. The citizenship, the family, and the building. Do you see that? And in each case, notice how it grows. You're a member of a citizen, you're a citizen of a country, you're a member of a family, and you're a stone that's put into a building. Do you see that? And each one as you go... As you move along, it gets stronger, not weaker. 
Um, with, with citizenship, we know that there's great loyalty to be part of a nation, to be part of a country. And, and that church, the church is where our citizenship is with Christ and with his kingdom and what he's producing, what he's developing, what he's making through the church. Um, the second thing is the family. Think of the family as identity. I mean, when you talk about family, you're talking about identity, right? Uh, uh, the, the identity of the family. The, 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 the reason why the church grew so fast in the first three centuries is because, because the church became a family. And when it became a family, it invited other people in, and people saw from the outside how others were treated. We just did a little retreat. Men got together, about 30 of us. There were about 500 men down in the desert riding motorcycles and raptors and razors and whatever else they could find. And we had a great weekend. And about 30 of us from the church went down and we had some places to stay out in the desert. Some, um, uh, we, some, we got some RV, some camper trailers. And uh, we, we just circled around and had a great time. And I invited a friend in that is not a churchgoer that I've known most of my life. And he brought his son and and we had a lot of fun out in the desert, but something that he said toward the end, I'll never forget. He said, Todd, I've ridden a lot in the desert with a lot of different groups of men, but I have never seen such community, such kindness, father, son, friends, ever before than this group of people. See, someone from the outside looking in sees the family, and that's what Paul's described. But if you're not a member, how does it work? See, if, if you're separate from that, it's not going to work because you're a member of that. And others are seeing that, and they're responding. And the early church grew because they saw the difference that the family made. The final one is, 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 uh, is a temple being built out of what Peter calls living stones in 1 Peter um, chapter 1. He calls them living stones, but here these stones are, the cornerstone is Christ. So, and the cornerstone is not this, this uh, beautiful stone that is uh, like uh, an emblem. It's actually the foundation of the whole building. And there's a passage in Isaiah that even talks about when the storms come and when, when hardship comes, there's one foundation left. There's a found, and that's the picture that Paul's getting at here. The foundation is Christ. He's the cornerstone. When, when things happen, when hardship comes, guess what happens? The foundation is Christ. And yet around the foundation, a building is being built up. And it's describing this holy temple that's indwelt by the Spirit. It's, it's the presence of God in the church. And we're all members because we're these stones that have been carved and hewed out of and and the edges have been softened and the picture is that ahead of time in the quarry each stone was cut perfectly brought to the building site and slipped in beautifully and that's a picture of our conversion of coming into a relationship with Christ coming into the community and now fitting in and getting getting cemented in do you sense that? There's a cementing in in your relationship with other people as you become part of the church. That's what Paul's saying. That's where he's going with this passage.
And a lot of things happen as a result of that. A greater authority, validation, we have a cause that's bigger. All sorts of things happen when we get glued into something bigger. And I, I'd love to talk more about that, but here's what I want to do. It's all about telling these kind of stories. That we get glued in. We become part of the family. We feel like we're part, we're loyal to, to something larger than ourselves. But we got to tell the stories. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to end before we go to communion. I wanted to open up the microphone to people that might tell the story. I have a lot of the stories written down. I have new stories now to add from our last service. There's stories out there of how you got connected. What God has done to bring you in closer. To bring you into part of what we call the church. And it's about your story. Every one of us has a story. And we could have gone on all morning at, at the beach. But I just want to open it up to you. And I'd love for you to come up and be brave and just come up and say, hey, this is what happened. This is how I'm part of this church. This is how I got connected. And it could be just short, but it could be also something very deep in that's happened in your life. So here's a microphone. I'm going to have the microphone turned on. And I want to encourage you just to come up. So who would like to come up and share uh, a story of how? Come on up. Yeah, thank you. Of how you got connected. Tell us your story. Come on up. I'm Sarah Jane Betke. Uh, my husband George and I have been coming here for a little over two years. And a year ago, two days before your heart attack, my husband had a stroke. I was traveling in Israel, and um, he was by himself, 2.30 in the morning, didn't figure out what was happening, ended up being paralyzed his whole right side. So, gosh, the women's retreat was coming up. I had decided to go because I don't, I know a lot of people, but I don't know a lot of people. Um, Jeannie Calvert and I go back a long ways, taught school together. Um, and so I texted Caitlin, I guess it is, who was in charge. I said, I can't go to the retreat. I just wanted to let you know. And I don't know how the word got out, but... I got back from my trip um, just the day after he had this stroke, and about a week and a half later, gifts started arriving on my doorstep. I would get a candle. I would get uh, a little snack, um, something, and there would be a beautiful note. No signature, no nothing. It was all from the River Church. Um, and... That went on for about two, two to three weeks, every few days, getting some little love gift. And people I don't, I know I probably didn't know a lot of them. Um, I knew the gal who was in charge, and I talked with her, and I said, please thank whoever it is, because I don't know who these people are. She said, that's just what we do. People sign up, yeah. and they do that. Yeah. So my husband is now practically a miracle. He'll be back soon. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, like thank you that. to the River Church you, for that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's another story, isn't it? I mean, it goes in the books. I mean, we just add one story to the next. Is there anybody else? We can take a couple more before we go to communion. 
We want to hear your story. I know you're thinking about it. I know you have one. And you're going, I'm not sharing that story. Because someone else is going to share. Yeah, David. Come on up, brother. Well, we go back 25 years. And uh, I want to share Todd's story. Some of you guys might not know this story. But we met. um, Todd was at a low point in his life. Um, He was working uh, at Willow Creek and basically... uh, was given an option to either quit or work on the grounds crew. And uh, he chose the grounds crew, and he mowed lawn for a year. And that's when I met him, and I'd just gone through a moral failure in my life, and I was at the low point, and we became brothers. And this is kind of how this church came about. From there, he went to Harvest Bible, uh, which is in Chicago. From there, uh, Saddleback came knocking and recruited he and Denise to go there. Things didn't work out there. He ended up in the South Bay. Another story. At that point, Todd was not in ministry anymore and getting ready to go back into the secular world. And he was going to go do real estate where he started originally. And I remember my wife and I coming to Todd and Denise and saying, God's been preparing you all along to do church. You are now at the broken point in your life where it's no longer about you. It's in a, you're in a point of weakness. And that's where God really uses us. He uses us in our brokenness. That's when the seed was planted. That's when this church, which was no one. And the next thing you know, we had a core group of people, and he decides to plant this church. So that's the story of this church. And it's through brokenness. And that's really where family, community, uh, life really begins. We, this church started, there was so much sickness, uh, cancer, um, so many obstacles for this church to go forward. And at times it didn't look like it was going to go forward. And that's how, that's how God works. That's how family begins. That's how love begins. And from there, I mean, all you people that are here are from Todd's failures. In a, in a lot of ways, and that's how God uses us. That's how Christ on the cross, that's the blood. Yeah. So anyway, that is. that's that's the story of your church, just so you know. Thank you, David. Thanks for coming all the way from Montana to tell us. Wyoming. <laughs> one more. we got to hear one more. James, come on up. It's all yours. Number three. Number three. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, so... Uh, so I three is the magic number. Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't want to share at the beach because I felt like I'm a pastor and I, I talk a lot anyway to y'all. But the, I couldn't not. Both are true. Both are very true, especially the talk a lot part. And um, and then I see Dave Jennings here, and I think I've been thinking I'm a nostalgic person. I've been thinking a lot about the journey that we've been on as as a community. And I think about the times I met most of you, those of you, just the different seasons of the river's life, and. The beauty of brokenness and what Dave, what you just shared, and I saw him in here, I ran up and gave him a hug and said, what's up, my big brother? Like, mm. in the most unexpected ways, we, we joined with Todd and Denise early on because we saw them, break it up here. Yeah. Oh, well, break it up here anyway. I want you to see too. my beautiful wife. Sorry, I thought you were waving at her. team, come on up. Break, too. come on. I, it Tell sounds a lot more legit James. if you're here. Okay. She's going to, she's right there. She's beautiful. Anyway, the point is, we didn't realize we were going to be going through in our own life and 
uh, a super difficult challenge, and our marriage was just literally on the, on the hair's edge, is that even a word, of, of falling apart. And here I am, church kid, youth pastor, all the stuff, and like this church just wrapped themselves around us, and Todd and Denise just wrapped themselves around us. And then in the weirdest way, I've heard about the Jennings, I didn't know the Jennings, and they go, go out and be with them for a little bit. And they just wrap themselves. And so I think about you guys once a week at least. And that's just the story. That's why I love this place. It's, it's got great worship, great teaching. But a lot of places have that. It's this insistence on you don't have to put makeup on and fake it. But brokenness birthed this. And that's where God loves to do his work. Yeah, okay. James. Yeah, James. Amazing. I'm glad you shared that, James. All right. One last one. I don't want you to say you didn't have that opportunity and I should have gone because this could be that moment. Seriously, this is telling the story of the church. Yeah, yeah. Hi guys, my name is Irving. Um, so, I'm a little nervous, but... So my story is uh, <clears throat> I was attending Journey of Faith, and uh, that's where I know James. I've known James now for about 18 years in Bray. So uh, I felt God was telling me at that point, you know, um, I've got to find like, a, new, a new home, and um, kept praying about it. And I remember I was actually going to another church, checking it out, and I just didn't work out. And I reached out to James, and I said, hey, James, are you still going to the River Church? And James responded, and he's like, yeah, I'm still going and he's like, hey, man, Irving, come along, you know, come check it out. And in the beginning, it was a little difficult because, um, you know, going to a brand new church, I'm not, I don't, I'm going I'm I'm to be really honest, I don't really know most of you guys. I, the only people I really know is James, Bray, Pastor Todd, because I'm good friends with his daughter, Brooke, and uh, Matt Engel. And so um, I started, you know, growing. And I think for myself, my story is more, I wasn't in the best place in my life. I was struggling with my own faith, my own identity. Um, just in the world, lost, um, living my own life. And I think, um, especially, you know, losing my dad, my dad passed away about three years ago and I still, still something that I still have to deal with till this day. But I think, um, you know, I, I like the, the preaching here. I love the, the fact how each time Matt, James, Pastor Todd, they're here, they're challenging us in our faith and they're challenging us, you know, just to be a representation of God. But, um, I finally got to a point <clears throat> last year, later, like um, the end of last year, and God was saying, you know what, what are you going to choose? You know, are you going to choose the world? Because I was still struggling. Or are you going to choose me? And so I finally got to a point where I'm like, you know what, I just, what is it really good to really live this Christian life? And at this point, God, you know, my time is done. And I'm like, you know what, I had to make the biggest decision in my life. And I was like, all right, there's there are friendships that I had to I had to let go. Um, you know, there's people that I had to kind of uh, really kind of let go. Not that I wanted to. It's just it wasn't helping me at all. And so um, <clears throat> I think even now where I'm at now, I'm like in a better place. I feel like literally just <clears throat> striving for God and really trying to um, live a life. And I think I find more of a peace, more like, yeah, there's times where I'm like a loner. Like I hang out more with my family. But I think the, the best verse um, when Paul says, you know, for me it's Christ to die is gain. Like, what good does it 
do for a man to lose his life, you know? But he loses his soul. So for myself, it's just more like I feel now that I'm at a better place with God. It's just like I just strive to do more. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I think you guys, I think especially my big brother James, you know, Matt, uh, just a congregation, you know, just for, like, loving me, accepting me. Because um, it's tough, man. It's really tough to live a life for Christ. But, um, you know, um, just 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 thankful for this opportunity and just Thank being you. able to grow. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Good job. Let's leave. Let's uh, round out our service and worship. And when you are ready, you are um, you're welcome to go to communion and to remember the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ. It's right there in our passage that brings the unity of all of us, brings us in. We were strangers and aliens. Now we're members.